One of the most nuanced and unscientific parts of the songwriting process, honestly, is probably writing melodies. But in this episode, we're going to be talking about different ways to level up your melodies. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Adala. Honored that you would take some time out of your busy day or week to talk songwriting with me. You could be listening to any podcast right now, which I probably shouldn't remind you of, but I appreciate the fact that you chose this one, that you care enough about songwriting to be listening to me instead of listening to some podcast that is primarily for entertainment rather than for learning And spoiler alert, the first thing I'm going to tell you about writing melodies is that you need to know your scales and modes. Really, you don't really need to know your modes because honestly, like 95 plus percent of all songs, uh, not including music compositions, but songs, meaning, uh, you know, something that would be vaguely in the rock, pop, rap, country, um, sort of in those areas of music, pretty much all of that uh, is is usually major or minor with some minor exceptions. So if you just know your major and minor keys, that will get you 95% of the way of what you need to know. If you don't know that, be sure to pick up my free guide. It teaches the four pillars that I think every songwriter needs to know which are intervals, which is sort of the the basis of everything else, and then keys, chords, and chord progressions, and specifically chord progressions within the context of keys, which is what I think is really important to understand. I don't think it's particularly important to to know, for example, uh, you know, G chords and E minor chords and C major chords all sound good together. Like, yeah, okay, that is usually true. Um, But really the underlying reasoning for that is that it's probably – in the key of G major, uh, technically could be the the key of C major based on the three chords I gave you, but probably is in G major in that context. And we're talking about the one, the four, and the six chord. Anyway, if what I just said sounds confusing to you, grab that guide. It will help you with that. And most importantly, it will help you with what is number one on my list, which is learning scales for leveling up your melodies. Because if your melodies currently consist of you just guessing at random notes without rhyme or reason until something works, learning scales is is what's gonna be most beneficial to you. So if you're sitting at your keyboard or at your guitar and you're just sort of wailing away at different notes and not really knowing which ones are gonna work and which ones don't, Or maybe you've never even considered writing a melody with anything other than your voice because you just rely on, well, if I sort of improvise with my voice, I'll naturally be able to find the notes that work. And then you don't really have to worry about sitting at a piano and knowing which subset of notes to utilize. But if you understand keys, then you can quickly be like, oh, well, this song seems to be in D major, so... And, you know, just everything you do works, right? What I just did, I just made up this one time. I will never do that again. I'll never remember that. 
but who cares, right? Because I, I can do that anytime just because I know, okay, D major, here are all the notes I have, um, which, which then makes it a lot quicker to get to a melody that is really good that you like because you're not constantly doing... I'm so sorry for doing that to you, but hopefully you get my point of that. That, 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 that was me just you know, utilizing fairly random notes that are somewhat close to each other, pretending like I don't know anything about scales. And, you know, maybe it's not that bad. Always maybe that's slightly overstating it. But I do remember the the good old days, which were not good at all, where I didn't understand scales. I didn't understand keys. And it just, everything was longer. Uh, it took a lot longer. And then it was a lot more difficult as well. What scales give you is your subset of notes. So instead of having all of the different 12 tones to work with, you know that you have a subset of just seven. So in E major, I know I have an E, F sharp, G sharp, A, B, C sharp, and then a D sharp, back to E. And I know that I have those notes. And therefore, if I know a song is in E major, boom, there's my notes to work with. And that's not to say that we're limited to that, right? If if you can't quite find a note that works for the sound you're going for, you know, you can certainly utilize borrowed notes that are, you know, outside of the current key, but it gives you at least a really good start and really just understanding keys at a, a deep level, which really isn't hard at all. It's really not complex. Um, I'm pretty sure I've had whole podcast episodes where honestly, just from listening to the episode, um, you, you probably could more or less have figured out, oh, okay, this is what keys are. And just that understanding is enough, assuming you're a, a, a competent instrumentalist, to be able to basically improvise indefinitely and it sound good, which is a huge advantage <laughs> when you're songwriting. Because if you can make uh, pretty good music just improvising off the top of your head, imagine how much better music you can make when you write it. Think like, uh, you know, if you can do improv comedy, if you can be funny in the moment when you have a split second to figure out what would be most funny to say or to do, uh, then certainly if you're given time to actually write out comedy, I assume it would be that much better. Next thing is paying attention to the creation and the release of tension. So generally, the really easy way to think of tension, tension comes from more than just this, but we want to keep this a podcast that's not three hours long. So we'll talk about the main way to create tension. The main way to create tension with your melody is to simply have it be a note that is not contained in the current chord. So to keep it really simple, if we have a C major chord, which is C, E, and G, if your melody were a C, there's no tension. And then if it were an E, there's also really no tension. Or also a G, there's no tension. Because again, they're all just notes that are in the chord. But once we go G, a, oh, that's not in the chord. And you can probably hear that it wants to resolve from here back down to a G, 
or if we went from a G to an F, that really wants to resolve to an E. Multiple reasons for that. One is E is one of the notes in the chord, but specifically it really feels like it wants to go to E over a G for really two reasons. One is when in doubt, usually the resolution it, it wants to be down. Um, but more importantly, uh, it wants the shortest distance. And there's only a half step between an F and an E. And then there's a whole step between an F and a G. Did I say F and E first time? I don't know. I meant F and E first time, whether I said that or not. But anyway, paying attention to tension and release is very important. And you want to make sure that you don't have too much tension because too much tension and it, it just sounds like it's not even a, a, a good melody. Think of it like if a movie has too much confusion and too much sort of suspense and stuff, eventually it just stops having that effect on you, right? It's just too much. At some point you have to deliver. At some point you need to prove that you're not just adding more and more MacGuffins or something. You, you, need, you need to make sure that, that the, the viewers have a reason to believe that this all is going to get resolved somewhere. And tension... And a melody is the same way. If it's just all tension all the time, it starts to lose its effect. It starts to just get tiresome and it's not effective anymore. So the effectiveness of tension is created by also having release. Uh, something to compare this to would be like a will they, won't they in a sitcom. So I don't know if you've seen Friends and The Office but if you've ever watched like five sitcoms, there's probably a high probability that those are two of the five you've seen. Um, and in my opinion, the Ross and Rachel thing from Friends went way too long. Way too long. By the time they did get together, I didn't care anymore. I didn't even want them together because I was so sick of it. I was so sick of being toyed with. We all knew how it was going to end. I hate that they. it felt like artificial drama. It was just too much. Right, So the tension ended up just not even being there because it, it took too long for it to be resolved. Whereas Jim and Pam in The Office, in my opinion, was perfect. If it went one more season, it probably would have started to get tiresome. And if it was one season earlier, it would have felt like it, it didn't take as, as much time as it probably should have. Probably could have gotten away with that as well. But in my opinion, it more or less got it right. And just so you don't think I'm hating on Friends, I'm not, even though it is probably my least favorite of the classic sitcoms I've seen. Uh, I love Scrubs, easily in my top five. And for the record, I think that went way too way too long with the will they, won't they as well. Uh, and just kind of lost the tension. All to say, in your melody, the same principle applies. The only difference is we're not talking about seasons of TV shows. We're talking more like seconds <laughs> instead. Um, but just knowing that tension is good and too much is bad is a great place to start. Also, making sure that we don't allow ourselves to write melodies that are completely lacking in tension, which one great way I have found to do that is to not write your melodies with your voice. Now, 
I'm a big fan in general, and if you've been a listener for a while, you know this, but I'm a huge fan of writing melodies with not your voice. And there's a lot of different reasons reasons for that. And one of them is certainly that your voice, when you're improvising with your voice while listening or playing your other instrument part, naturally wants to do what's comfortable for the voice, which is not always what you want for your melody, right? The fact that your voice might be tired that day or whatever it might be, you don't want that to affect how great your melody is because your voice just doesn't really want to go that high or that low. It doesn't want to do any leaps. It kind of wants to be conversational. And if you think about it, you know, even the way we talk is, is very pretty even, right? And there's different levels of monotone. We could talk like this all the time. Most of us don't talk like that though. Right. But there still isn't leaps. Like I've like in this entire podcast so far, I have yet to go like, woo, yes, wow. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not doing that stuff because that's not natural in conversation. Uh, it might be natural for s- certain people on YouTube with their put on whatever. And, and uh, I, I probably shouldn't <laughs> say that. Obviously, to some degree, anytime you turn on a camera or a mic, you have to up it a little bit because otherwise, I think something people don't realize, this is a side thing that doesn't matter at all, but um, something people realize the first time they're on camera is – if they talk normally, uh, that actually comes off incredibly monotone because, you know, just they say, you know, a camera puts on 10 pounds or whatever. I think it also dissipates energy, right? So so the way I could talk to you if you were here with me and hold your attention is way lower energy than the energy I need to bring uh, to a podcast and way, way lower than than to a video. But anyway. All to say, in my experience, melodies that are written by improvising vocally tend to lack tension because our voice is y- used to just naturally resolving. If we try to sing, if you try to sing right now, will I do this? Your voice is naturally going to gravitate towards going to one of those notes in that chord. And a part of this is just, you know, whether singing in choirs or whatever, we're used to, oh, I, I think I'm a little off with my with my voice. Maybe I'm a little sharp, I'm a little flat, and we are used to, you know, committing to what sounds most right. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that that usually is going to help us as a, as a vocalist, but it doesn't necessarily help you with writing vocal melodies. Um, so, highly recommend whatever your most competent melody instrument is, utilize that for writing your melodies. I'm not saying overnight stop writing all your melodies with your voice if that's what you, all you've done before. No, no, no. Of course not. Never do that. And never make it like radical changes and just abandon something that you already do that works. You know, slowly change over time and if you find the new way is better, then maybe eventually you say goodbye to the old way. But regardless, make sure that you are at least adding to your repertoire, adding to your 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 toolbox writing a melody with something other than your voice. We talked about this before, but you know, if you're saying, "Well, Joseph, I can't. My best instrument overall is guitar. I'm great at soloing, and I'm great at guitar chords and all that stuff." If that's what you're saying right now, and you're like, "Well, I can't play two guitars at once. I can't do the chord progression and solo to try to like come up with a vocal melody." That's what recording is for. <laughs> Take your phone out record yourself doing the main riff or the guitar chords or whatever it is 
for like loop it for like three minutes and then play the recording back to yourself and now improvise the melody. So pay attention to creating and releasing tension. Next is to make sure that we're not just looking at our melodies as a succession of phrases, meaning are are we looking at our melody just like, oh, well, this phrase connects with well or something like that. But instead, we are looking at our melodies from every level and making sure that our melodies work on every level. So do our song section melodies work as the melodies for those song sections? So is this a good melody is not a great question when you're listening to your chorus melody. Is this a good chorus melody is the right question. Because generally you want your song sections to be melodically distinct, especially the ones that are next to each other. And just as a frame of reference, you usually want your money note and the highest part of your melody to be in the chorus. And even if your genre or your songwriting style doesn't have what you would consider a money note, because usually when you think money note, you're thinking of things like, you know, something that Freddie Mercury or Steve Perry would hit or Celine Dion or something, um, or Mariah Carey or, you know, Whitney Houston, I, I could go on. But <laughs> like, those are usually the people you think of when you think of money notes. Uh, and I understand that, but defining a money note loosely as, you know, the highest note that you hit vocally in a song in some form of full voice, um, almost always you want that to be in your chorus, even if you are writing more of a, you know, acoustic song that that never really goes very epic or never really gets big and is just all sort of you know, fairly low energy intentionally, right? Not low energy in a bad way, but low energy just meaning, you know, it's not it's not like there's layers of five trillion guitars and and Freddie Mercury-esque vocals and all that. But generally speaking, even if we have a song that is fairly even energy-wise, you still want it to be true that the chorus has the highest note, usually. You still want it to be that the chorus feels more high energy melodically than your verse. And of course, there are some exceptions, but there's a reason there are exceptions. (laughs) Usually, you want to make sure uh, that your chorus is the highlight of the song, and something that helps with that is making sure that the vocal melody is higher and is more exciting, and usually excitement comes from higher notes and from larger leaps rather than just steps. That's not very exciting, but now that's a lot more exciting, even though it's still super pedestrian because it's just random stuff I just did, but ignoring that for a moment, this... Ooh, it's a perfect fifth, so that's going to be more exciting than which was just all steps. So this is something I notice. uh, I I feel like a lot of beginning songwriters don't pay attention to at all, which is thinking of their melody not just as, hey, my song has a melody And there needs to be a a good progression of phrases. And of course, at some level, everybody thinks, oh, this is my chorus melody. Otherwise, you know, you couldn't have a chorus that you repeat later where it has the same melody. But 
sometimes it, it doesn't feel like people put that extra bit of effort and thought into, okay, but like, how do I make sure that this melody in my chorus is not just a good melody, but it's a good chorus melody. And it's a good melody for the chorus of this specific song. And that may sound silly and and like, well, how's that any different? But it is different. In the same way that, you know, different characters in a movie could do the same action. And in one case, it would seem silly and stupid and out of character. And in another case, it's like, oh, wow, that was awesome. Because that it would make sense that that character would do that. I didn't fully expect it, and yet it makes total sense. And, you know, another way to look at this is a great joke isn't just a series of punchlines, right? It has to have setup to the punchline. And then the punchline makes all the setup worth it, and then some. Or, you know, you could you could have a movie that is just a series of quotable lines, but if the characters that are saying the lines don't make sense, and if you don't have actual character development behind all these lines that by themselves would be good, like, well... A line by itself is irrelevant. A scene by itself in a movie is irrelevant. If the scene doesn't make sense in context of the movie, if it's not powerful and meaningful in context of the movie, it doesn't matter. So in the same way, we need to put that extra thought into our melodies because you might have three great melodies for your verse, chorus, and bridge. But it also could be true that they are three great melodies but they are not three great melodies for your song and specifically for your verse, chorus, and bridge. They might be something that all of them really are verse melodies. So really you have three different verse melodies. So you have the beginnings of three different songs and they're all killer verse melodies, but really none of them would be super effective as a chorus melody. So paying attention to that, is something that is important. And then lastly, test your melodies. How are your melodies without the crutch of music or lyrics? You've probably heard me say before, if you've listened to more than three podcasts, the frame test. And the reason I talk about it a lot is because I think it's very important. It's it's very simple. And yet I, I find it, also very helpful and profound in that it seems obvious that if your, if your lyrics don't hold up when you read the lyrics, then they're not good lyrics, right? That, that, that should go without saying. And I often, especially at the end of videos specifically, will, will poke fun at WAP. If anybody read the lyrics of WAP, even if they like the song, they would like laugh or be horrified. And there's plenty of other songs that are less obviously atrocious, um, like Hey Soul Sister. Almost everybody loves that song. If you like that song, read the lyrics. Go read the lyrics and tell me you don't, like, chuckle to yourself. Like, this is this is so bad. <laughs> like, it's so bad. Um, so in the same way that the best way to test your lyrics are if you strip away the catchy melody and you strip away 
you know, the the QC guitar part or whatever other things are distracting people from how bad the lyrics actually are. Or maybe an elite vocalist, right? To to this day, I, I don't really know. I think I looked it up once just, just for kicks and giggles. But I remember at some point I'm like, you know what? I have no idea if the lyrics of my heart will go on are good or not. And the reason I have no idea, even as a person who cares deeply about lyrics and will refuses to like songs that don't have good lyrics, or at least that don't have passable lyrics. I try not to be too, too picky, but um, if the lyrics are trash, I'm not going to like the song generally. Um, but I realize I have no idea if my heart will go on has great lyrics, but Celine Dion slays that vocal so, so well, so well that I, I didn't even notice, right? And you know, I, that's kind of an exceptional example because Celine Dion is um, should be in the GOAT discussion. Uh, I, feel, I feel like she's not given her proper due as a vocalist, but she is just, just incredible. Um, but anyway, all to say, just like we can take our lyrics and strip away the crutch of melody and instrumentation, we can test our melodies without the crutch of music and lyrics. And when I say without the crush of music, I mean, you know, instrumentation. So if you just hum your melody, does it still hold up as a great melody? You're not saying the great poetic words that I'm going to assume you wrote because that could operate as a crutch. And you're also not, you know, playing back or listening or, you know, playing this cool guitar riff that, again, works as a crutch. On its own, is the melody great? A test that I like to do is, is, well, there's really two of them. One is what I call the acapella test. The idea of this is if you sing your lyrics, but with no instrumentation, if you feel like it's, it's, it's still powerful and they work well together and the emotion of the lyric and the emotion of the melody match perfectly, then you're well on your way to a great melody. And that is just stripping away the instrumentation. And sometimes I call this the candle test because I try to think of this as if I were singing this with no instrumentation and it was at a big concert, would this be the type of thing that people would take their candles out? And by candles, I mean, of course, their cell phones and wave them back and forth, right? It, it, it is just still so emotion-filled, even with nothing but my voice singing the melody and the lyrics. But then the next level is what I like to call a theme test in reference to like movie themes. Think, say, Binary Sunset, aka the Force theme for Star Wars. Like, you need nothing else but that melody to feel something. Even if you're not a Star Wars fan, I don't, I don't think, like, that alone will, will get, still give you that amazing feeling of the like, combination of like wonder and mystery and adventure. It just has all this beautiful emotion wrapped up in, in one very simple melody. And that's the power of a theme, right? It doesn't have lyrics. And yeah, there's other instrumentation around it, but it doesn't need it. Right now, if, if I knew it, I could just, you know, po poke out on the piano that force theme melody and you would feel this, the same emotion, maybe not quite to the level as with the entire instrumentation, but it would still hold up. And we should want the same from our melodies, that even if you were to take your melody, that sure, in its natural habitat, 
It is something that you're singing it. It's paired with lyrics. It has a sweet guitar riff with it and a cool bass line and a, a cool drum rhythm that you came up with and all that other stuff. And that's great. And good. And we should, we should try for that. But even better, if the melody on its own is so good that you could sit at your piano or with your guitar or just hum the melody and it still would have that deep emotion that it doesn't need to be sung with those great lyrics and with that awesome instrumentation, but it holds up on its own as a theme, if you will. And then another test I like doing is is, is really just testing what they look like. And if you record your melodies, specifically with a keyboard or something for, say, MIDI, or, or you actually write them out in musical notation, or if, say, you play an instrument like piano, where it's really obvious, you can like actually see up versus down. And on a guitar, you can too, but a little less so because changing strings is another way to go up or down, even though you're technically on the same fret. But a piano is very obvious when you're, oh, that's up an octave. Oh, that's down a fifth. It's, it's, it's very obvious with a, with a keyboard instrument. And looking at it visually, because sometimes, well, you should never, you should always go with what it sounds like over what it looks like. But a great test can be looking at your melody because you might think, man, something's off about this melody. It feels like it doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't feel that exciting. And then you realize the whole thing is within a fifth, right? Your verses are, and then your chorus is, It never even went anywhere. Like, this is all within a fifth. So sometimes just visually inspecting your melody can be a great thing to do just to sort of be able to catch possible issues. Now, again, if you feel like your melody is absolutely crushing it and it just doesn't pass the eye test, then ignore the eye test because ultimately it matters what it sounds like, not what it looks like. But this still can be a good tool for the arsenal, especially if you're in a position where it's like, man, something feels a little off, feels a little boring maybe, this is a good test to run. Actually visualize it. Easiest way to do it is to record it with some sort of MIDI instrument, probably a keyboard, and then to literally just look at the MIDI roll. You certainly could also write out music notation. And also, the, the better sense you have of whatever instrument you're using and, and, the, and the range um, you know, it's easier to visualize on, say, a keyboard or piano or organ or something compared to a guitar because of the because of different strings. Um, but if you are super familiar with a guitar fretboard, it's, it's still a great way to actually visualize the melody, right? Uh, compared to probably you s just singing it. Now, if you have perfect pitch, you just singing it might be good enough because you can literally know like, oh, I was at a C4 and then I was at a B5 and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but otherwise, uh, for those of us that are um, not demigods that <laughs> have the ability to just know pitch um, by, by hearing it, um, for the rest of us, usually... Usually just singing your melody is it doesn't really give you a great idea of exactly 
the pitch range you have going on. You you have a of course some some idea, uh, you know, when like oh that's clearly there's a pretty big difference between these notes that I'm belting at the top of my lungs and then these other notes that are towards the bottom of my range. And if I'm too vocally warmed up, I can't even go that low or whatever it might be. But anyway, overall, learn your scales, specifically major and minor. Hopefully you already know that. And if you do, then you want to make sure that you are paying attention to creating and releasing tension. Just just make sure that you're not just writing a melody, singing a melody, and not actively thinking about adding tension, which can even look like, you know, maybe your melody was... And you realize, oh, that F is the tension spot. And when we just sort of go over the F very quickly... There's very little tension, but it adds a lot of tension if we stay on it for longer. Then it adds some tension because there's a longer period that we're like, it's got to resolve, it's got to resolve, it's got to resolve, right? So just paying more attention to tension and release can go a long way. Making sure our melodies work at every level, specifically going that next level and not just being like, do I have a series of good melodies in my song, but is my chorus melody a great chorus melody rather than just a great melody? And then testing our melodies. Looking at it with what what I like to call the contour test, which is really ultimately looking at, or elevation test sometimes I call it, uh, where, where you're looking at that MIDI roll or whatever it might be, visualizing your melody, making sure that the melody is going somewhere over the course of your song, or the theme test or acapella test, where we are simply stripping away the different crutches to make sure our melody is great on its own and it's not some of the other elements of our song that are compensating for our otherwise lackluster melody. Again, if you haven't already, be sure to pick up my free guide on the four different pillars of music theory that I think every single songwriter needs to know. Music theory is not knowing how to read sheet music. It's not knowing how to write music physically. It is understanding the theory behind music and is incredibly helpful for any form of music composition. In fact, there's a reason why in high school, And in college, you have to take music theory classes before you can start taking music composition classes. It's not because those people don't know how to read music. In fact, by nature of being a music major or being somebody who in high school is choosing to take music theory and music composition classes, they certainly are people that know how to read music already. When I took my music theory and music composition classes in high school, I already knew how to read music. I had done classical piano for a while before then. And everybody else in my class, which was like five other people, uh, that was the same, right? That's not what we were learning. What we were learning was the underlying theory behind music so that when it came to composing it ourselves, we understood the different tools we had at our disposal. So anyway, be sure to pick that up if you haven't already. Just understanding keys goes such a long way as a songwriter, and then really being able to level up into understanding your 
chords in context of keys rather than just understanding chords as like C major, A minor, B major, and that kind of stuff, but instead being able to understand chords from the context of, oh, this is the the minor two chord in the context of a major key, which would be a D minor in C major or an A minor in G major, and understanding that those technically have the same role. It's just in different keys. So anyway, I hope this was helpful to you. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you, and I will talk to you in the next one.